Hi there. Welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. Well, that was the quietest Christmas ever. <laughs> There's something to be said for the simplicity of this year, having no expectations, the freedom to do whatever we felt like at any given moment. We used to have some pretty rigid Christmas traditions in my family, things that were done the same way every year. But once my dad died, things started to change. And then the following year, my mom died and they changed again. And then each new year, we began to create new traditions. As a result, we find ourselves open each year to doing something new. So, you know, what can we do this year that's different? And it's kind of an exciting thought rather than a distressing one. So this year, then, we realized was our first Christmas ever with just the two of us. Even before kids, we were always at my folks' place. So this was refreshing. I set up an all-day virtual meeting so we could watch while we opened each other's gifts. And throughout the day, if the kids wanted to chat for whatever reason, we could just pop online. It was really casual. We got takeout turkey dinner from Patina, which we picked up the day before. So when we were hungry and felt like eating, which happened to be at 2.30 in the afternoon... We heated it up and ate. And Matt felt like making a cheesecake, so he made a cheesecake. <laughs> Never done that before on Christmas Day. We had tunes going all day. We played skip bow for eight hours, and we chatted and we laughed. We quite liked the whole thing, and I wonder which of these things we'll hang on to, even when we're able to be in company with our family and friends again. And now it's on to New Year. Do you do resolutions? I don't really make resolutions, but I kind of, I guess I kind of renew my commitment to try to be a better person each year. Reach out to people. Something that's tough for me as an introvert. Be more thoughtful, more compassionate before forming an opinion or a judgment about someone Try to remember that everyone has a story, so maybe I should consider what that might be before I form an opinion or judgment. You know, I have a story, so why wouldn't they? Speaking of story, when we last left Kier, she had run up the path after Frederick and company after he spoke to her in her language. It's the only language she spoke when she emerged from the cornfield into the Haladin's yard. So naturally, she is mystified yet again. Gatekeeper's Deception by Krista Wallace Chapter 12 Renewed Purpose Fennel and Derry flew up the switchback, the trail of horses' hooves clear. The rain had not penetrated the canopy of conifers, but when they emerged onto the south path, the trail became mud. Eyes darting all around, they found the sloping opening that led down to the little clearing by the lake. The ground was awash with mud, and when Derry dismounted, he slipped and mud was driven up into his left poline. Fennel gave him a hand up. The medicine had taken effect, and the elf was feeling much better. "'What do you think?' Derry asked, shaking out the muck as best he could. The elf wandered around. "'This may be of interest.' He pointed out a distinctly Kier-shaped dust pattern in the mud. Derry hastened over. 
It was about her size, anyway. If it had been her, she had lain here for the duration of the downpour. Water had run in rivulets all around and streamed into the lake, but dust remained where she had been. Fennel quickly found her footprints, where she had gone to pick something up off the ground, and then she'd high-tailed it up the path by which they'd come. The tracks of her captors had been washed away by the rain, at least until farther along the path that headed south. Kier's trail was easy to find. It carried on in the same direction the horsemen had taken, not back to her friends. Derry stood in the middle of the path, puzzled. But what does this mean, Fennel? He had an idea himself, but it did not match what was sensible to him. Fennel sighed and leaned against a tree. He shook his head slowly and shrugged. I don't understand it. She was here. The tracks seemed to indicate that they left her here. She lay on the ground for the entire rainstorm, and then she woke up and... Well, I don't get it, but it looks like she followed them. Why would she do that? Derry had drawn the same conclusion and hoped for a logical explanation. Did they take something of hers, maybe? Maybe, Fennel said, a hopeful tone creeping into his voice. Maybe it had something to do with the message, or maybe she was disoriented and thought she was going the right way. Derry's gaze wandered farther down the trail. He wanted to believe that Fennel was right, but Kier was too smart to follow the wrong path by mistake. Why would she have done it purposely, though? What were you thinking, Kier? What was this message? What could have been so important that she'd do her utmost to convince Fennel that going with that man was the right thing to do? She'd told Fennel she didn't want to risk all their lives. Was there some other reason? Well, what do we do now? the elf asked. <sighs> Derry exhaled heavily. It's getting late. We ought to go back. I hate to in case she's in danger, but we have no supplies. All I can think is that if she left here on her own, then maybe she's all right for now. We'd better risk it. It's getting dark, Fennel agreed. To ease their minds a little, the elf followed Kier's trail a short distance just to make sure she hadn't collapsed on the path nearby. When he returned, he said, At least we know which way she went. We can pick up the trail tomorrow. Fennel turned his gaze upward through the branches to the grey sky. A vague recollection of his sword tip at the man's chest had materialized in his memory. I'm sorry I let this happen, Derry. Never mind, the captain said stiffly. You shouldn't have let her persuade you. But it's her own fault, I guess. He took one last look around. Why do these things always happen to her? Derry climbed onto Donegill's back again. It was true. Things did always seem to happen to Kier. Being singled out by Kami was where it began. And after that, well, the earthquake, Fennel had just had the rotten luck to be with her at the time, the arrow in the back when nobody else was touched, and now to be taken by the enemy, again. Derry recalled a certain white rose Kier carried close to her heart. "'What do we tell the others?' Fennel asked. Derry paused, lips pursed. I think for now we should just say that we have discovered her trail. Let her answer for herself before we cast doubt on her. The two horses turned down the switchback trail, and Derry's brooding thoughts twisted and gnarled. What had possessed her to go the wrong way? Kier took the trail at a run. The mountain climbed higher on her left and fell away on her right. The stream was down there somewhere, shielded from view by bushes, flowers, shrubs, berries, and fallen logs. It would have been lovely if she'd actually looked at it. The trail wound along the side of the mountain, up, 
down around. Her throat stung with the chill air. She slowed down to catch her breath, but sped up as soon as she was able, a purely physical reaction, not a conscious decision. The one and only thing on her mind was Frederick's words. Or not his words, someone else's words in Frederick's mouth, her words. That was the thing about it. It was her language. She had a right to know who else knew it. Someone had taught those words to Frederick, and whoever it was knew more about her than she did, just like Kami. Somewhere in the back of her mind, Kier was aware that she was afraid. Knowledge was power, and anybody who knew more about her than she did had power over her. Not a comforting thought. On, on she sped, her footsteps light as a deer. She realized how long she'd been traveling only when she started having trouble seeing the path. She stopped and rested her hands on her knees, breathing deeply. Straightening, she looked up into the drops that plummeted off the trees, the aftermath of the storm. Hungry. Her eyesight was decent in the subdued light, and she headed off the trail in pursuit of berries her eyes had registered as she'd run. A few handfuls of huckleberries later, and fatigue set in. She unbuckled her baldric and sat next to it. Curling up against the bowl of a red cedar, she drifted off into a busy sleep. The man who called himself the Guardian, her Guardian, showed his glowing, milky face, saying, A magical gift you have. I know all about you. The good must prevail. His lean figure faded, to be replaced by Frederick Hayland confessing his guilt to Kean Barthelon, Kean demanding his sword, and Frederick's pallor as his lord handed down his fate, Frederick rushing out of the great hall at Shale Castle, Frederick's face in the flickering firelight as they made love. Frederick's sword-tip at her throat as he said, "'We know who you are.' Frederick, laughing, laughing, laughing at her because he knew something she did not. Kami, when are you going to start focusing on what you want to do?' "'So you will admit that you left Hreth to learn more. Your friends do not need you so much on their journey.' And faintly, so distant she almost did not hear it, a voice she knew to be that of Alon Mare calling her, calling for help. No, they can do it without me, she cried. I don't know you. But still the plaintive voice wailed her name. Kier awoke in the deep darkness of the forest, alive with cricket chirps and the scritchings of small nocturnal creatures. She breathed in the soporific, cedary air, changed position, and fell asleep again. My slippered feet pad softly along the brightly lit corridor. Those stone walls are familiar. I know the way. The swish of my shift against my legs is all I hear. In my hand is the gift for the lady to be presented to her right away. Her door is this one. I knock. Her clear voice answers, and I enter. Color crept back into the forest as the gray dawn lifted the darkness from the trees, slowly, gradually, as if reluctant to awaken those sleeping within. More rain had fallen as she slept, and the drip, drip of water all around her was like strange percussion music. It soon accompanied the trills and twitters of birds. The squirrels added their chatter to the cumulative tune until Kier was fully roused. She felt exhausted, as though she'd been awake all night. Her body was stiff with having slept in an odd position and tense with expectancy. Every sudden sound of bird or creature made her jump. Who was it? Was someone trying to find her? Did she want to be found? 
Her fingers, all but fused to the hilt of her sword they'd gripped it so tightly all night, ached as she pried them away. She flexed and shook them to get the feeling back and sheathed her sword. She picked her way back to the trail and looked both ways along it. Which direction did she want to go? Which direction should she go? Her chest felt heavy and she struggled to breathe. Kier had always known what she wanted. In the past, whenever she'd had a decision to make, she'd had a point of reference. Her goal had always been clear. Working for Valraker had fit neatly into the pursuit of that goal. Originally, the quest to save Alon had made sense, too, but now it was all askew. She had never even met Alon. And she wasn't right for Valraker anyway. Derry was constantly reminding her of it. After what she did to Rona, Val wouldn't see her departure as much of a loss. Surely the rest of them would understand why she needed to abandon the mission now. Fennel would explain it to them. Whether they understand it or not is their problem. Kier hid her face in her hands. She'd left Wrath to learn who she was. Anything else was a mere distraction. She knew that now. She turned southward and followed the trail that Frederick, Harley, and the others had taken. Derry awoke in the pre-dawn light, brooding over Deskellen's final words to him last night. The mage had again brought up the magic he sensed surrounding Kier. He had felt a troubling change again in the past few days. He had assessed her new sword and determined that it was magical, but he didn't think the weapon's magic was strong enough to fully account for it. "'Naturally I can block out magic I detect when I am around other mages,' he said. "'But I believe I am more sensitive to whatever magic Kier is carrying simply because... Well, not only is it unusual for a non-magic user to radiate such energy, but hers seems to have multiplied at an alarming rate. Could her medallion have changed somehow? Derry suggested. Jeskellen thought, but shook his head. I do not think so. I believe my sense of her medallion would simply have intensified were that the case. This is something new. Jeskellen had retired to bed then, leaving Derry to contemplate his remarks. It was utter nonsense, of course, Derry told himself as he lay there staring up through the trees, silhouetted black against the paling sky. Kier was no more a magic user than he was. It was too much to believe that she could leap from being magically impotent to radiating it after a matter of weeks. He listened to the wakeful birds and the morning chattering of squirrels. He heard Skimnoddle quietly pottering over breakfast, but made no move to join the halfling. Derry was more concerned with her disappearance than some perceived, probably imagined, use of magic. Kier was no dummy, he told himself. She could not have mistakenly chosen to follow the path of her captors. Then why? He dreaded having to broach the subject with her. He'd felt the sting of her remarks before. No matter how he worded the question, she'd know they doubted her. Her vehement defense would only leave Derry with a figurative slap mark on his cheek— assuming we even find her. Was it too early to get up without looking too eager? He was anxious to get going, to look for her, but he fought the desire. The captain had spent an inordinate amount of time worrying about Kier lately. When she went off with Kami, he'd fretted for nothing. When she and Fennel were stuck below ground in the earthquake, his concern over their fate had been brushed off with an unsatisfactory explanation, and he was starting to resent it. Unconsciously or not, Kier had made a mockery of his distress. And now this. He was worried about her, and would his fear be for naught again? 
He remembered the easy conversations they'd had in weeks gone by when they were first getting to know each other. When she'd needed his confidence and reassurance, he'd given it to her happily. She seemed to need him less and less these days, and she was more and more difficult to talk to. Finally, he joined Skimnoddle and roused the others. They ate and packed the camp in haste. The captain sighed heavily as he picked up Kier's dew-dampened bedroll from where it had lain all night near the fire. He tucked it in its place on his friend's horse, doubt weighing on his mind. We'll ask her why she followed them and what will she say. Let's get going, he called to the others. When they reached the mountain lake, they sped right past it and carried on along the trail they were certain Kier had taken. Kier's footsteps were slower today. She trudged steadily, but without the urgency and adrenaline that had carried her yesterday. Her mind was a mire of confusion. She felt stupid and childish, this soggy, mossy indecision. Well, she'd made a decision, but still she couldn't say she was right. An emotion akin to loneliness had taken root in her heart. Could her friends truly understand what it was like to not know who she was? She doubted it. But was that reason enough to leave them? Besides, reality was seeping into the forefront. She had no horse and no supplies. Why? Why did Frederick say those words and then run away? Damn it, she wouldn't let him get away with it. Him and whomever knew her language and used it to torment her. She trod deliberately on a flower that had fallen off its mother plant in the rain and picked up her pace. Kier's strength and self-assuredness had been inched aside by insecurity and weakness, and it irked her. She'd left home to find answers, but this, being tossed little tidbits, little hints, yet nothing solid, this was not what she wanted. Kami, the man who called himself the Guardian, and now Frederick, poking her, taunting her with, We know something you don't know. She frowned and took to a run. Her instinct picked up a rumbling vibration from behind. Hooves. Her heart jumped to her throat in panic. No, I don't know yet. She fled the path up the steep mountainside and found a place to hide, the concave underside of a fallen hemlock's root system, now almost vertical as the massive trunk stretched out horizontally and rested on a rock outcropping. Lichen dripped down from the roots and shielded Kier from view. She unsheathed her long sword, crunched herself as small as she could against the roots, and waited. Who was it? Tension rang in her ears, and her thudding heart sent blood pounding through her like little knives cutting and biting at her. She clenched herself so the scream could not escape. The hoofbeats approached, slowed, go away, stopped, I'm not ready. Voices, fennels, skimnoddles, that blasted halfling, jannocks, dairies. Tears prickled at the inside of her eyes. Suddenly she wasn't sure if she feared being found or not being found. She breathed heavily but silently, footsteps climbing, nearing her place. The dam was about to break. She couldn't hold back her inner turbulence much longer. They'd found where she had to have slept the night before. The trail of the horsemen was much older than hers. The fact that even in the morning she'd followed their trail rankled Derry. Had her senses taken leave of her? Now Fennel saw the unmistakable fresh path of someone having crashed through the bushes up the hillside. He raised his hand in warning to the others, stopped, and dismounted. "'I think we may have found her,' Fennel said softly. 
Oh, my lady is alive! I am overcome! Skimnoddle intoned. Knock it off, you imbecile, or I'll knock it for you, said Janik. Hush! Derry said. He nodded to Fennel. Kier, Fennel called softly. Kier, it's us! The two gingerly stepped through the heather up the hillside toward an uprooted hemlock. Whatever storm had been the catalyst for the tree's demise had been long ago, for the trunk was now a nursing log, a provider of life for new bushes and trees. Fennel reached out, placed a hand on an outstretched root. A wildly vicious Kier burst from behind the tree roots, brandishing that frightening sword of hers and throwing Fennel head over heels, nearly taking Derry out with him. "'Get away from me!' she screamed. "'Don't touch me! I won't go with you!' Derry had instinctively reached for his sword at the sudden movement, but drew his hand back when he saw it was Kier. "'Of course we won't touch you, Kier,' he said, immediately recognizing the need for calm. "'It's us. Everything's all right now.' Her eyes locked on his for an instant. Then her face contorted in a mixture of fury, helplessness, and relief, and she crumpled to the forest floor." Kier rocked back and forth on her knees, her face in her hands. Her shoulders were taut in knots of anguish, and all she could say was, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. She was sorry for causing them trouble, sorry for abandoning Alon Mare. Even if she had done it only temporarily, she had made a choice to desert them, but she said nothing else. Derry dashed forward and sank down next to her. It's all right, it doesn't matter now. He put his hands on her upper arms. All that matters is that you're okay. She let him raise her to her feet and lead her down the hill to the path. The madness had dispersed at the sight of her friends, like a puff of steam erupting from a pot when the lid is lifted. These were not enemies stalking her, trying to make her do things she wasn't ready to do. She was horrified that she'd nearly run Fennel through with her sword. When she saw Derry, it was like hearing Kami's harp again, bringing the chaos in her head into focus. It hit her that leaving her friends felt entirely wrong on a variety of levels. These were the only friends she had. She should be enlisting their help, not turning her back on them. Derry led her to Trigg, and she stroked the animal's neck, wondering if he forgave her. She felt the other's eyes on her, but could not raise her own to meet them. For all that Kier could tell herself she didn't care what others thought of her, she knew better. She cared deeply what this group thought of her. She'd struggled hard to gain their respect. How could she have considered throwing that away? It had been temporary madness, brought on by the shock of Frederick's words. Chasing after Frederick was foolhardy. What would have greeted her at the end of that path? Anything that took her so by surprise was not to be trusted. Somebody else knew her language, and that was intriguing, to be sure, but it would not do to throw aside everything else she'd worked for. She nudged Trigg into step behind Donegill. How to explain all this to her friends? The whole truth was out of the question. For one thing, she could not explain Frederick's use of an unidentifiable language without telling the whole story about her arrival in a cornfield with no knowledge of how she got there. And that was not a story she desired to delve into in these circumstances. It would not fill them with confidence in her. And that was not the only issue. I chose to abandon the mission, she thought, with no small measure of guilt. She did not think they would forgive her easily. She was especially concerned about Derry, as a knight abandoning a commitment for any reason was just not part of his culture. He'd forgiven her mistakes in the past, but she didn't think he could forgive this one. 
At a loss for the right words, she said nothing to any of them, and they, assuming her ordeal had been traumatic, did not press her for information. Her eyes locked on the swish of Donegill's tail. She let them make that assumption and considered what to tell them. It couldn't be the whole truth. At the evening mealtime, coincidentally taken by the lake shore where Frederick had spoken to her, she finally reached a decision about it. And if they didn't believe her, well, she'd scale that cliff when she couldn't find the stairs. Swallowing her mouthful of tasteless cornmeal cake, she took the plunge. It was Frederick Hayland. Mouths dropped open. I don't know who he's working for, but he's in league with someone. There, she'd given them news of the enemy. That ought to remind them that she's on their side. Buy her some trust. The messenger said his chief wanted a word, Fennel said. What did he say? Kier noticed Jeskellen lean forward with just a touch of anticipation of her answer. Derry, too, was all ears. She hesitated. It was as if they knew something she did not. It was a warning for us to keep out of the mission. So he knows about our mission? Derry looked around at Jeskellen. Apparently... Why did he want to tell only you? Jeskellen put in casually. Kier didn't care for his suspicious tone. Her mind was racing to come up with credible answers and hoped the mage wasn't a perceptor. How should I know? Maybe he wanted me to believe something that wasn't true. Get me in trouble. He said I had an excuse not to be involved and should get out if I valued my life. I told him I value her life, too. What sort of excuse was he referring to? "'because I've never met Alon before. "'Remember how Val questioned the same thing? "'There, that was a point Derry couldn't dispute. "'The whiskey jacks fluttered from tree to tree, calling for handouts. "'Derry stirred his soup absently and didn't raise his eyes. "'Did you escape, or did they let you go? "'At least this was something she could be truthful about, "'stick to the truth as much as possible. "'Neither. They gave me a nasty knock on the head, "'and when I came to, they were gone.' Jeskellen cocked his head and seemed to be trying to word his question carefully. Why would you follow them instead of coming back to us and getting help? The accusatory tone was getting to her. Another in a string of bad decisions by Kier Halladin. Obviously I wanted more information. She was on a roll now. If they don't want us to continue on the mission, maybe they know what's ailing Alon, how she became ill. I didn't know how much time had passed since they'd left me and I thought I could catch up. And then, of course, I realized I didn't have any supplies with me, and it got to be too dark to carry on or go back. She looked around at their faces, Fennel frowning apologetically, the halfling eager, Janik's one-eyed expression unreadable, Derry and Jaskella not meeting her gaze at all. It was these last two she targeted. This is working out just great for Frederick, isn't it? I wanted more information because I knew you would ask all these questions and I wouldn't have satisfactory answers. What's the result? You're all looking at me like I'm the guilty one here. No, Fennel jumped to her defense. You're not to blame, Kier. I thought he was bluffing about the snipers, but I couldn't be sure. That's why I went with him in the first place. She wasn't lying when she said, I guess it was stupid of me to think I could handle it. And I was counting on Fennel to bring you all right behind me. Things just got out of control. From her spot on the same log Harley had sat on to feed the whiskey jacks, she looked around them as sincerely as possible. I'm sorry. It's okay, Kier, I'm sorry too, Fennel said a bit quickly. We'll just have to travel that much quicker from here, Janik said, which she took as his way of forgiving her. Of course we'll manage, dear lady, 
Skimnoddle's voice rang out. We shall be like the gazelle, fleet like the wind my feet shall be, merely beholding your fair countenance again. Uh, thanks, she said. I suppose I'm feeling like a bit of an idiot. Would they buy her explanation? Fennel clapped her on the back. That's okay. You're not the only one. I'm sorry I let you down. He was trying awfully hard to brush it off, and Kier didn't know why. Harley's words had intrigued her, and Kier had wanted to go with him. She had convinced herself it was fear of the archers that made her do it, but that was another lie, one that she didn't regret in spite of everything. That was definitely not something she was prepared to tell Derry. When they left her to have a rock-skipping contest on the lake, she remained where she sat. Hellfire, take the next person who speaks to me in a language foreign to everyone but me. It was just too much to take. Footsteps approached. Derry. Maybe I should check your head where you got knocked. She shrugged, but let him examine her. He could find no evidence of a wound, certainly not one severe enough to put her out of consciousness. She tried to explain what had happened, but the memory was all shadows, nothing solid. Derry was visibly puzzled. You lay on the ground for the duration of the rainstorm. That had to have been for a reason, he said with a sigh. But I'm damned if I can determine what happened. A spell? Kier just shrugged. I don't know. Great, the one thing I'm absolutely honest about. As Derry fell asleep that night, listening to the gentle lap-lap of the shiny water and watching the clouds scud across the half-moon, he could not dismiss a strange suspicion that Kier was lying. Jeskelin agreed with him. For one thing, the wall upon the head made no sense. There was no evidence of it apart from a Kier-shaped dry spot in the dirt. Derry could not begin to guess what had really happened between Kier and Frederick, but one thing he was sure of, it wasn't as simple as his warning them off the mission. Something passed between them, something traumatic. Only that would account for Kier's behavior when they found her on the mountainside that morning. And true to form, when she felt attacked, she attacked back. Derry rubbed his cheek. What he had yet to determine was whether that was a panicked reaction when she felt guilty. Did she wish they hadn't found her? Whatever Frederick had said, Derry was certain it had, at least for a moment, become more important than Alon Mare. She was dumbstruck. Golgothar's eyebrows narrowed thoughtfully. Oh, yes. Fell flat on her face. Well, with a little help from Misty, but she was speechless, which is saying a lot for Kier. Hunter let a rock fly into the lake. This lake was larger than the one where he'd left Kier. Hmm... Golgothar slowly nodded. Yes, that is quite favorable, isn't it? Hunter turned away. Yeah, sure, it's great. How can I help you, Hunter? Golgothar asked, placing himself on the fallen log. You are looking particularly glum this morning. Really? Hunter flung another rock into the lake. It went farther than the last one. He was in no mood to humor a man who could probably just as easily snap his fingers and make him fizzle away into the misty air as he could flash that stupid expectant grin at him. But the grin was there. Hunter wished he would snap his fingers instead. 
Yes, most definitely. I can't imagine why someone with all your skills, your talents and charms, not to mention gainful employment, might be as close as you appear to be to the depths of despair. Now, I want to help you. Let it never be said that I do not offer support and all manner of encouragement to all my contractors. But dear me, I cannot possibly help you if you do not share your troubles with me. Hunter ground his teeth and finally made contact with the red water lily fifty paces off the shore. He darted a resentful glance up at the pale, translucent skin of the otherwise dark man's face, and he was surprised to see that Golgothar's expression had altered slightly, but perceptibly. The playful condescension had been subtly replaced by serious interest. The smile was still there, but it had deepened to one of gentle concern and the eyebrows had lowered from their cheerful peaks to a narrow valley. "'You sound like a father,' he said doubtfully. "'Do I?' the other replied, as if that were unlikely. He shrugged, an unusual gesture for him. "'Well, whomever I coincidentally resemble, what is it that is causing you to sink to this mood?' Frederick shifted uncomfortably. He looked off into the trees and turned again to face his employer." "'I'm surprised you even have to ask,' he said, testing the ground. "'Would Golgothar actually permit him complete unexpurgated honesty?' The lieutenant nodded his encouragement. Frederick plunged ahead. "'Am I correct to assume that you'll still want her alive?' The lieutenant nodded. "'Well, then, there you go. You have taken away my one pleasure, the one goal that gave meaning to my life.' Once he'd begun, all Frederick's thoughts wanted to tumble out with the redoubling force of an avalanche. That girl, that bitch, he spit. I don't even want to pronounce her name. She ruined my life. You know it. I don't know how you know, but you know it all. I am destroyed because of her. I had everything I desired, everything I had worked for all my life, and everything I ever cared about was ripped out of my grasp because of her. Frederick's vehemence rang through the trees. And since then, all I've wanted is to find her and crush her, to clutch her by that throat that talks too damn much, that neck holding up the head that's too big for the body underneath it. He paused to shake off the choking feeling that had risen to his voice. I want to feel that throat struggle for breath beneath my hands as I squeeze the life out of it. I want to laugh at the terror and panic on her face when she knows she's going down. I want to hear her gasp for that last breath. And before she dies, I want to tear that head off and fling it as far away as I can. Feel the bones and tendons stretch and give way as I pull, so she knows what it's like to have her life severed from her. The rock he threw was backed with the force of his words and flew farther than any other. With no more rocks in hand, he gave up the game. I want her to know what my life is now. Panting, Frederick recollected himself. He sat down as if he had nothing left. It felt supremely good to have spilled it all, though now he was going to have to live with Golgothar's taunts and jibes about the pathetic nature of his position. Golgothar was silent. After a few moments, the lieutenant adopted a helpful pose, resting both elbows on his knees and rubbing his chin with clasped knuckles. He cleared his throat. These are heavy frustrations indeed. He was all seriousness to the great surprise of Frederick Hayland. When I was a youngster, much younger than you are now, I was given a choice. 
My choice was to live under the hand of a most oppressive father. Either that or death. Not a difficult choice for a young person, though the consequences of such were not always pleasant. After a time I realised that my position held certain advantages, and I gave myself another choice, to continue to feel oppressed and trapped, or to allow myself to live within the boundaries set for me, to create ambitions that fit. Again, the choice was an obvious one. You have the same option now. Frederick was a soldier, not a philosopher, and had not caught the lieutenant's meaning. He looked at him quizzically. Golgothar took pity on him. If you do not mind my saying so, your ultimate goal is misplaced. He raised a hand as Frederick tried to protest. Pray hear me out. Kier Halladin ruined your life, you say. I have no doubt that your feelings are warranted. I am grieved to hear you express your dissatisfaction with your current position, and must admit to a certain amount of sadness that you simply cannot feel pleasure or fulfilment in working for me. Perhaps that may change in time, I cannot say. That aside, you do feel unhappy with the current state of affairs. Kier Halladin caused your accomplishments to be for naught. She precipitated the stripping of your previous position, redirecting your ambitions into the dust. You are, to put it mildly, angry with her, and rightfully so. I would be as well. If you were to kill Kier Halladin, even in the violent and satisfying method you described, what would you have achieved? She would be dead, and you would still be here. I have heard it said that even when one is successful at revenge, it never brings finality. What would be left for you to live for? He paused, letting his words of reason seep through Frederick's mood until the younger man recognized their soundness. Frederick's hopeful glance asked for further details. Think of it, Golgothar leaned forward. Would it not be better still to ruin her life the way she ruined yours? I have told you I need her alive, and that will not change. Yet it need not stop you from finding some way of making her life as utterly miserable as yours is, unaccountable though that may be, he finished smugly. Hunter became aware of the pounding in his chest. But what's in it for you? You want her alive. Alive, yes. Needy would be even better. He waggled his eyebrows. Hunter allowed a glimmer of hope to tickle the back of his mind. It would bring new meaning to your life, I believe. We all need something to live for. I found my meaning many years ago. It is time for you to locate yours. But what can I... Hunter was at a loss. She's so much in control of herself. More so than you were a few months back. The sun rose on Frederick Hayland. The mist in his heart and head cleared, even if the air around him remained as damp and dismal as ever. Now, Hunter, said Golgothar with a change of tone, you must give some thought to what ruining the life of one such as she would entail. I have an idea of how I can be of assistance to you in this new ambition, but I must first go off and see... But never mind, I will return soon, hopefully with some new instructions that will please you... In the meantime, I suggest you stay close enough on the heels of your quarry that you do not lose them, but do not let them become aware of you. I have a feeling that soon your nearness to them will serve you well. Golgothar walked through his own private door and was gone, leaving Hunter with thoughts of renewed purpose. Kier Halladin was in control of her life. 
He had to wrest that control from her grasp. What did she want? To be a knight? She denied it, but it must be so, and above all, Kier certainly desired the good opinions of Kian and Valraker. Ah, now that was something he could work with. Golgothar swept past the wisteria vines that loaded the trellis alongside his front door. He paused to pluck a bloom and tuck it in his breast pocket. The aroma swirled around him, following him inside. Several corridors, staircases, and doorways later, he knocked on a thick, solid wood door and entered. "'Good evening, my friend. May I call you friend?' The figure rose from an armchair, book in hand, and remained several paces back from where Golgothar stood, grimacing sardonically. "'Hardly the way I would define the word. To what do I owe the dubious pleasure this time?' Golgothar smiled warmly. "'Only that I do believe you'd be interested to know what I've just learned.' The eyebrows rose in doubt. "'Well, then?' "'It would seem we have a mutual acquaintance.' "'I don't think there's much likelihood of that.' Golgothar clapped his hands, then clasped them loosely on his chest. "'I didn't know it right away, but now that I observe more closely, there is a startling resemblance. Let's see if you can guess. Female, early twenties, and, oddly enough, understands what I believe is her native tongue.' The listener's reaction was to not react at all, but remain quite still. Golgothar slapped his thighs and clapped again. "'Well, have yourself a nice day.' He closed the door behind himself and started down the stairs. Moments later, he heard what he could only assume was the sound of a book being thrown to the floor with the force of rage. Well, some things to think about. Another thing I took on this year that's new and regular, besides doing a weekly podcast. Um, well, I think I mentioned in the summer that I attended, virtually attended, When Words Collide in the summer. Um, and I was taking a course, one of, the, one of the courses I attended was about making a plan for your work. So, for instance, my plan to release Gatekeeper's Key as an audiobook. A friend of mine, Beth Wagner was online in the same course and so the two of us had a chat and we decided to be each other's accountability partner. So we've been meeting online for a chat every Sunday morning since August to say what we've accomplished during the week and what we intend to do over the next week. It's a great support system and it really helps us stay on track. It also helps us keep track of the things we've accomplished because sometimes you check in and go, oh, I didn't really do much this week. But when you start listing things, it's like, oh, I actually did more than I thought. So it's kind of cool. So that's definitely something we will continue in the new year. Um, Beth creates comics and she has also posthumously published her father's book, Talisman of the Winds. So her name is Beth Wagner and you can find out more about Beth and her work at moongatestudios.com. I wish you all the best in 2021. Um, if you're going to make resolutions, I encourage you to avoid those things that put unnecessary pressure on you. you know, this year has been difficult enough. 
Instead, think about maybe there's a resolution that benefits others, like I will reach out to people I haven't talked to in a long time and see how they're doing. Or I will write a letter each month and mail it to someone who will enjoy getting an actual letter in the mail. You know, goals that are not only achievable, but they make you and others happy. If COVID is teaching me anything, I am learning that life is too short to focus on the things that in the long run don't really matter. So, Happy New Year. Please click like and share and subscribe. Thank you very much for that. Thank you to my family, Matt, David and Heather, and Maggie, without whom I would be a complete mess. Thanks, David and Sharon. Thank you to the original six, without whom this story would not exist. And thanks very much to you for listening. Honestly, thank you. Now, let's head into 2021 being fantastic.